All right, here we are. This is number nine. In our series, we're going through selected psalms. We're calling it Where to Turn. It's like when something hits you, the unexpected, that we're looking at various psalms that you can turn to for help. And so this morning, you can see we're in message number nine, and we've entitled it Where to Turn When You've Blown It Big Time with God. Now, all of us have done, I mean, some really dumb things in the course of our life. And so you shared a story, and I'll, I'll share a little one too as well. These are not difficult for me to come up with, okay? I've got a list. But I remember when we had the experience of buying a brand new car, okay? And this was exciting. It was a Volkswagen Jetta. And I parked it, you know, brand new, everything. It was red, you know, kind of maroon-ish color. And I parked it underneath a tree, and birds just, you know, did their thing on it. And it was, this is in the summer, it just baked into the hood. And, you know, I tried to, you know, wash it off, and not, it, it just would not come off with rags and everything. I'm like, what? This, this brand new car, and I'm like, what is going to get it off? So I, oh, let's try a Brillo pad. <laughs> so I go into the kitchen, soap, and, and guess what? A Brillo pad will take off that bird stuff. But it also takes off what? The paint. Oh, yeah. So just one of the dumb things I have done over my life. And some of you are going like, Mark, why should we listen to you preach? I mean, you know. And I, I'm wondering the same. You know, why are you here? And yet if I heard your story, I'd say, why are you here? Um, but the thing is, you know, all of us have done dumb things in our lives before, but also watch this in our relationship with God. There isn't a one of us. And, and, and be encouraged, you're in good company, because you look at the Bible, it is littered with stories of men and women who just did foolish things and, and really blew it with God. You know, this morning, so we want to talk about this thing. What do you do? When you've blown it, I mean big time with God. And where do you turn? And the answer is Psalm 51. So if you're not there, turn and uh, look at the, the superscription here. And let's read that. It gives us a little bit about the psalm we're going to study. And it says this, for the director of music, remember all the song, psalms are poetry put to music. A psalm of David, so David wrote it, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Wow. That's a moment where you've really blown it. Now, most of us know the background to uh, this Psalm 51. And we know it's 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. And 2 Samuel 11 begins, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed what? In Jerusalem. That was his first problem. He should have been out fighting battles for God, and he stayed. You know, one person has said, an, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. When you kind of get into these moments when you're not doing what you should be doing, what God's calling you to do, let me tell you, a lot of things can arise and sometimes lead us down a path. We need to learn how to catch those things before they happen. And so David is at home, he's in the city of David, some of you have been with me to the city of David, and he's up above as kings would live up in their palace, and he's on his porch, and he's looking, and he sees a, a young woman bathing, 
and he's attracted to her, invites her to come up, and he sleeps with her. He abuses his power. This is the wife of a man named Uriah. Uriah is out fighting for David on the battlefield. David finds out she gets pregnant, and then David goes, okay, I can solve this. I'm going to invite Uriah to come back from the battle and sleep with his wife. But Uriah is so committed to the work of God, he refuses to sleep with his wife. So David sends him to the front of the battle with a note that he carries to the commander, and it says, bring Uriah close to the wall where they're fighting and draw away and let him be killed. David murders Uriah. Wow. Second Samuel 11, that tells that story, ends with these words. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. How do you know if you've blown it big time with God? It's simple. You're going to feel the way David was feeling. And I want you to listen, just as we begin here, to how David describes the condition of his heart, his inner spiritual life. And I want to begin by just pointing out six indicators you've blown it big time with God. And the first is this. You're going to feel endlessly guilty before God. You see this in verse 3, where David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. When you've blown it big time with God, and you've not reconciled with God, you're going to feel endlessly guilty. You can try to hide it, but it's there. And it's deep down guilt. You're also going to feel your punishment is deserved. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You're right, God. I'm in the wrong. You know that deep within. And you begin to think, what I'm experiencing right now, the pain my life is in, it's deserved because I blew it. I sinned. Third, you're going to feel dirty. When you've blown it with God, you're going to feel dirty. And you look at David and what he's saying in verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. You're going to feel like you need a bath. Like in your hearts. Hmm. You're also going to feel sad. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. It's like joy and gladness get sucked away. When we've blown it with God in a deep way. Also, you, you feel you are suffering physically. At the end of verse 8, it says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I mean, when you've blown it so deeply with God, I'm talking about serious areas of sin, and we've all fallen into them, you're going to even feel like physically there, there's just consequences even there. You can't sleep. And, and medically even, issues that are arising. You know, Psalm 32 is another psalm that David wrote in the aftermath of his sin. David committed adultery. He broke the covenant of marriage, and he also committed murder. And, and David said in Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And finally, you feel God wants to have nothing to do with you spiritually. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Wow. If you've ever blown it big time with God, 
These are some of the feelings. This is your heart, the things that are going on here deep down within. And as a pastor in ministry for like 35 years, I have heard virtually every confession imaginable with people that have come to me regarding extramarital affairs, uh, sexual immorality of so many types, uh, we can't even begin to get into that. I mean, things that are so you know, difficult for people to share, and yet they need to share. Slander, embezzlements. I've had two or three people confess to me murder. Yeah. Deep areas of sin. And the Bible, just so you know, it, 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 there, there is much of this at a deep level that we see throughout Scripture. Where do you turn when you've blown it big time with God? You see, David was dealing with all these areas that I'm describing, these six feelings. Watch this. For at least nine months, if not a year, it was all down here, kept within. He wasn't confessing with it to God. He wasn't dealing with it. He was trying to hide it. And, and with some people that have just blown it with God, it's so deep, they're not even here in church today because it reminds them of that sin. You may be here and you've hidden an area in your life for so long, you know, and yet God is speaking to you this morning or you're watching this on video and the Lord is speaking to you because God wants to, where do you, some of you just don't even know that there, there's hope with you and God because of something in your past. But there is, there's amazing hope. There really is. Uh, David lived with this condition, but David uh, didn't end with this condition. He ultimately pulled out of this condition. And Psalm 51 is what we call a penitential psalm. It's a psalm of penance. It's a psalm of confession. We're going to get into that in a sec. It's a psalm of healing. But there there's also beautiful wisdom here that David gives us. And, and I love to go to this psalm, especially when people are just absolutely shattered by something they've done that they never dreamed they would do. Let me tell you, David never dreamed in his life he would have committed adultery and then murdered the husband of the wife that he slept with. Never. Never. And some of us have never dreamed that we would have done what we've done, and yet it's been done, and, and God wants to meet you even in that. And He is going to meet you this morning. And, you know, as we work our way through this, what I see here in this psalm, and this comes out from David's heart, we, we get a glimpse into the depth of this man who has had a heart for God. And it's beautiful. I see five things to do when you've blown a big time with God. Here we go. Number one, what do you do? Number one, you claim God's mercy. Look how he begins the psalm. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. God is a God who is full of mercy. God's compassion is endless. Mercy is, is, is God not giving you what you do deserve. You see, you deserve punishment. You really deserve judgment. You deserve death. And yet, mercy is God not giving that to you. And the first thing David does 
that we need to do when we've blown it with God is just to call upon his mercy because that's what David is doing. See, God is not a, a vengeful human being who holds it over us. God is not a man, the Bible says. He's not like us. He is God. And as God, he is overflowing. He's spilling over with mercy for you. And this is what the Bible says. Have mercy according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. I love what Micah 7.18 says. It says, who is a God like you? You delight to show mercy. What do you delight to do? God delights to show mercy to you when you've committed the worst sin imaginable. And that's so hard for us to understand, but that's the character of God that we need to believe. We're like, you mean I have to show mercy to that guy or that gal that did that to me at work? Really? I have to do that as a Christian? God is like, please ask me for mercy because I, so, I see you hurting. I see your pain. I love you. I want to give you my mercy, but I'll never bypass your will. But please ask for it so I can shower my mercy upon you. This is the delight of God. This is who God is. And it blows us away, his character. Lamentations 3.23 says, His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Ephesians 2.4 says, God who is rich in mercy. God is not poor in his mercy toward you. He is rich in his mercy toward you. Regardless of what you've done. You've done, and this is what David says, have mercy on me. He starts the psalm off that way. And, and, and we could look at many other psalms where David talks about the mercy of God. In Psalm 86, verse 3, have mercy on me, Lord, for I called you all day long. Psalm 86, 6, hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. Psalm 86, 16, <coughs> turn to me and have mercy on me. One of the things that I've never shared with you is my favorite book next to the Bible. And I don't know why. I, I, you know, I'm like, my favorite book next to the Bible is The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And so every Thursday, you guys, you know, I think most of you know is my day off. And on that day, there's several things I do. I pray, spend time with my dad. I have a, a longer quiet time. Sometimes I'll golf, but I always come home and I will read one chapter in this book. This book is on the attributes of God. And I will read one chapter every Thursday. I've done this for years. And I will then meditate on that one attribute of God from Thursday to Thursday. There's always an attribute I'm thinking on. It's just part of my discipline in life. And I want to read just a few things here from A.W. Tozer to just encourage you about the mercy of God. And, uh, and just listen to this. I think this will encourage you. Now, someone who in spite of his past sins honestly wants to become reconciled to God may cautiously inquire, if I come to God, how will he act toward me? What kind of disposition has he? What will I find him to be like? The answer is that he will be found to be exactly like Jesus. From Jesus, we learn how God acts toward people. The hypocritical, the basically insincere, will find him cold and aloof, as they once found Jesus. But the penitent will find him merciful 
The self-condemned will find him gracious and kind. To the frightened, he is friendly. To the poor in spirit, he is forgiving. To the ignorant, considerate. To the weak, God is gentle. And to the stranger, he's hospitable. Wow. Mercy is an attribute of God, an infinite and exhaustible energy within the divine nature which disposes God to be actively compassionate. When we say God is merciful, he's actively compassionate. But you must call upon him for that mercy to become activated in your own life experientially. A little bit more about that later. If we could remember that the divine mercy is not temporary, it's not a temporary mood, but an attribute of God's eternal being, we would no longer fear that it will someday cease to be. Mercy never began to be, but from eternity was. So it will never cease to be. It will never be more since it is itself infinite. It will never be less because the infinite cannot suffer diminution. Nothing that has occurred or will occur in heaven, on earth, or hell can change the tender mercies of our God. Forever his mercy stands, a boundless, overwhelming immensity of divine pity and compassion. To receive mercy, we must first know that God is merciful. We must believe that God's mercy is boundless and free and through Jesus Christ our Lord, available to us now in our present situation. You know, when you've blown a big time with God, the first thing to know is to claim God's mercy because you believe what the scriptures teach, that God just can't wait to shower his mercy upon you. That's who God is. What an awesome God we have. And this is what David does in beginning the psalm. But there's more. First, second is this, confess your sins. Now, the only reason we would feel guilty and dirty and physically sick and feel like God wants to have nothing to do with us is if we watch this, fail after we've committed a sin, to confess it. To confess means this, to agree with God in your heart that what you've done is wrong. That's what confession is. It's an agreement. It means to agree with. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't um, say, you've done something that's so bad You've committed adultery, David. You've murdered. Go out and slash your body. Draw blood. I remember driving through India once, and I have this on video somewhere. It's too gruesome where I would show it to you. But I'm driving down the street of India, and I'm seeing block after block of Hindus on the sidewalk, and they were slashing their bodies with swords and knives. And the blood was literally flowing down the gutters. And it was all an act of seeking forgiveness from the gods. In India, they worship 33 million gods, which are demons. But they're trying to be forgiven of the sin in their lives. They know they're wrong with God or the gods. And this is what they're doing. It was beyond gruesome. And your God says, just admit to me what you've done. I know all about it. Confess. 
claim my mercy. I don't require you to slosh yourself. God doesn't say, yeah, you blew it. Okay, I want you to jump into the water from Alameda, swim all the way to Treasure Island, then go to Alcatraz, and then come back. And if you live, I'll forgive you. That's not our God. Our God says, you've blown it. I love you. I'm merciful. Confess. Let me say this about confession, though. Confession, genuine confession, is not shallow. It is deep. And this we need to teach on a little bit. And watch this. The deeper your sin, the deeper your confession. Now, David's confession, which we're going to read right now in these nine verses, is awesome. And I could do, I could do a five-part series on just this. And I'm, I, I, we're going to go into it a little bit, but I'm just going to kind of point out some things as we go along. I just want you to see how deep this confession is. Confession is a beautiful, you know, moment in our lives where we draw upon God's grace and mercy for forgiveness. It's our part. God is willing to forgive. Confession is necessary. And, and just look at David's confession. Let's read through this. Let's start again in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Now he begins his confession. He says, blot out my transgressions. To blot means to absolutely, totally, completely remove. David believed that God completely and totally wipe away, blot out of existence his sin of murder and adultery. Blot out my transgressions. To transgress means to cross a line in rebellion. It's like drawing a line and, you, and God says, don't cross it, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and you rebelliously do it. Some of us have done that. Maybe not adultery, not murder, but something else that we know is serious. And God is saying, or David is saying, blot it out. It's coming from his heart. Then he says, wash away all my iniquity. Iniquity is perversion. Wash it away. Like a stain, wash it away. And cleanse me from my sin. The word sin there is just missing the mark of God's standard. You've not hit that mark, and you're saying, cleanse me, clean me of that. And then David goes on. He says, for I know my transgressions. Notice, he's not saying, for I've hidden my transgressions. No, I know them. I'm aware of them in my mind and admitting to that those to you, God. And my sin, it's always before me. It's before me, God. I'm being real about it. I'm not hiding it any longer. Against you... And only you have I sinned. David is going, sin, yes, it's against Uriah, it was against Bathsheba, it was against... But David is saying, no, ultimately, remember Joseph said, how can I do this great sin and sin against God? Sin ultimately is against God. And this is what, and you and I need to say the same thing. This which I've done is against you. Yes, others were involved, but it's against you, God. I've done what's evil in your sight. Wow, this is evil. You're a holy God. My transgression, my sin, my iniquity, it's evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You are right, I am guilty. And you're confessing this to God. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. God, it's not your fault. A lot of people will say, yeah, I, I was born this way. And it's justifying their sin. And David is saying the opposite. God, I'm, I'm not blaming this on you. 
This is me. I'm taking full responsibility. Yet you desired faithfulness and even, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. God, I knew the way that was right. I knew the wise way to go. I chose something evil and wicked. And you're admitting this to God. This is all a confessing heart. And he says, cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was a leafy plant that was used by priests uh, to cleanse someone of their sin. Sometimes they'd sprinkle water. Other times they'd sprinkle blood. It's a little weird for us to consider that. But this is Old Testament. And, and again, the imagery, David is just saying, everything that's possible I want to happen so I can be cleansed, clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh God, I believe you can do this. Wash me. You know, as a kid, ah, oh man, I was not one of these kids that ever stayed indoors. Never. I was always outdoors. And I was always dirty. I was so dirty as a kid, I knew I was dirty. Are you following me? I'm a little kid going to school going, I'm dirty, but I don't care. I love outdoors. But then I would take that dirty garment, whatever it was, and I would hand it to my mom, and I'm telling you, it would come back, you know, just clean. God just wants you to hand him your dirty life. Would you have the humility? That's called confession. Just give God. Confess to him that what you've done, give it to him, and he will absolutely cleanse you and make you whiter than snow. It's beautiful. David says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. It's just beautiful. I love what he says also in verses uh, 16 and 17, which is part of his confession. You do not delight in sacrifice, God, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. He's saying, Lord, I'm not bringing to you some external religious thing. Some of us think that, well, by going to church, by saying our prayer, reading our Bible, that, that that's what God requires. No, no, no. God, doesn't, God really doesn't give a rip about that unless your heart is absolutely broken over your sin. You know what God wants? Your hearts. He doesn't want your activity, your religion. That doesn't do it with God. What does it say? My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart. Oh God, you won't despise. God does not look at your outward life. Yeah, you may have committed a sin. God knows about it. But guess what? God is waiting. Is there brokenness? Is there genuine confession? Like I said, genuine confession is not shallow. It is very, very deep. I love what 1 Samuel 16, 7 says. The Lord doesn't look at things like, like people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at our heart. God sees your heart. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's amazing. There are stories in this room. And, and, and there may be one or two people, or if you're watching this in a small group, that would be willing to honestly share how you came to the Lord, you called upon His mercy, you came to him in genuine confession, and I mean God did a miracle in your life. And you'd be willing to talk about that at your table right now. Here's your discussion question. Can you share about a time when you blew it with God, like we all have, but you came to God, called upon his mercy, confessing your sin? 
What happened in your life? Would you talk about that? Someone to testify at a table about a miracle God did. Go for it. All right, we're talking about five things to do when you've blown a big time with God. Five things to do. When you've sinned in a way you never thought you would have, you claim God's mercy, you confess your sins. Number three, you call upon God for, watch this, total spiritual renewal. Now, I want you to notice, not partial spiritual renewal, but I mean every crevice, every cell, every part of your life, every facet of your relationship with God, you're saying, renew me. And, and this is where we say, God, please, completely, totally renew my life spiritually. Now, let me share something that maybe you've never thought about. Our deepest failures with God gives God the opportunity to do His greatest, deepest, most profound spiritual work in our lives if we will call upon God to do this work in our lives. I mean, you go through a moment like David did, you're going to go one way or the other in your walk with God. You're going to get better or you're going to get bitter. Your life's going to go up or your life's going to go down. And your darkest moment can be your greatest day with God. And, and I want you to listen to how David calls upon the Lord in verse 10 and 11. He says, create in me, O God. Create, creating is making something out of nothing. God can do that. Some of you feel like, I have nothing to offer God anymore, Mark. You don't know what I've done. God can make something out of nothing. That's what creation is. A, a pure heart, God can do that. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David's spirit was not steadfast. It was twisted. It was immoral. And, God, and he's saying, totally change my spirit even. The way I, I live my life, how I live my life, my motives. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me joy. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Give me a pure heart, a steadfast heart, a joyful heart a Holy Spirit-filled heart. Now, just watch this. This is what God is an expert at doing. This is what God dreams to do. This is what God desires to do in your life, if you will ask Him. And that's the big if. That's the big if. Some people and the enemy just wants to keep you encased literally in your sin and in your past. And God is... So merciful when you call upon Him. God completely wipes away your sin, and God wants to absolutely, totally renew your life and set you on a new course if you will let Him. God wants to bring into your life an absolute, complete, total spiritual renewal. Where there was death, He wants to bring life. Where there is sadness, He wants to bring joy. Where there is guilt, He wants to bring freedom. Where there is pain, He wants to bring healing. This is who our God is. I love what Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. It's all hinged on will you call to him. God will tell us then unsearchable things. There are things you don't know, you can't imagine that God can do in your life if you'll call upon him. And when you're at your lowest moment, that is when God shines the most, if you will call upon him. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. God longs to be gracious 
in the midst of your deepest, darkest moment, most filled shame moment, wow, God will do a miracle. I don't know if you ever remember the program. I loved this when it was on TV. Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I used to love that show because there was always that moment, you know, the home of a, of a, a family in need, and they'd go in and remodel the home, and they'd put the family in a hotel, then they'd bring them back, and they'd put them behind a bus, right? And there was always that moment to go, move that bus, and the bus would move, and they're like, ah, they're looking at their new home. And I just love that moment. Because you know what that family did to deserve that grace and mercy and kindness? They just humbled themselves and admitted they needed help. They called upon mercy. This is who our God is. Your lowest moments, God can turn in to something so beautiful, He wants to absolutely transform your life. So you, absolutely, and this is what we call upon God. This is what David is doing. This is a moment to call upon God for total spiritual renewal. The next thing we do when we've blown it, is communicate your story to others. Now, I want you to notice this progression. I love this. David claims God's mercy, confesses his sins. He calls upon God for this total spiritual renewal on the inside. Now, David, once he's experienced that spiritual renewal, he is now going to turn the corner and begin telling others about this amazing, God, awesome God who absolutely heals and restores. And look, if you would, at verses 13 to 15. I love this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Because David's like, you know, I'm not the only one. There are others. And God, <laughs> I'm claiming your mercy, confessing my sin, asking you to totally renew me. And in time, David's going, I'm going to come back to the point where I can teach others your ways. So that sinners will turn back to you and find what I've experienced. Deliver me from... The guilt of bloodshed, O oh God. That's murder. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Wow. That video this morning, Tom, I'm looking at you guys in your marriage, Marianne. You talk about a song that is singing the praise of God, powerful, absolutely powerful. You are now communicating your story with others. You've come to the lowest moment in your life and in your marriage. You had the humility to put that on display before your entire church family. You claim God's mercy. You confessed your sin. God is doing an absolute amazing miracle of spiritual transformation. And now you're doing this. You're communicating your story with others. This is how God works. This is how God works. Watch this. In all of our lives, how he wants to work. But if you hide your sin, no, that's not the way to go. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let God heal you. Let him restore you. Let your light shine. Yes, you're a broken vessel, but let it shine. He wants to turn your tragedy into your testimony. That's what he does. God wants to turn your sin into your song. 
I love what Psalm 66 verse 16 says. Come in here. Let me tell you what God has done for me. <laughs> Let me tell you now what God has done for me. This is where God wants to bring you. Do I have a cartoon there, Robert? Again, all right. I'll tell you the story one more time. One warm summer evening, many years ago, I was basking on a stretch of Interstate 95 not far from here. All the little snakes are wanting to hear, Grandma, how'd you get those tire marks on you? We want to hear that story again. So guess what? You sin, join the club. You got a couple tire marks on your back. Those are badges of honor that God has turned into a story that you're going to tell the next generation the grace of God and the mercy of God. And people are going to find healing and inspiration because of how God redeems. You've got a story to tell now. Or you can just remain in your sin and keep that story locked up and guilt will continue to fester. Or you could truly come out of the closet, so to speak, with what's going on, let God heal you, and begin to let that story shine. Your worst moment with God can become your greatest testimony. Psalm 96.3, declare his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. Psalm 105.1, make known among the nations what he has done. Your greatest sin can become your greatest song, beloved, is what God wants to do when you come to the lowest point in your life. The Apostle Paul used to kill Christians. That's going pretty low when you were known as Saul. But listen to Paul's testimony. Listen to Paul's song, 1 Timothy 1. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Maybe you're here and you feel like you're the worst sinner. Paul used to kill Christians. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Are you willing to come to God like David? Let him heal you and become that story. Wow. That's what you do. When you come to the lowest point in your life, come to God. Let him do his mighty, mighty work of miracle. The Apostle Paul would go on to write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. I would think killing Christians would disqualify you from serving God. But that's how great God's grace is greater than our greatest sin. And he turns that into our song. God loves you. He wants to redeem this if you will turn to him and look to him. Last thing we do when we've blown up big time with God is to then carry out any action needed for rebuilding. You say, what do you mean by all that, Mark? Well, let me give you a principle. And then let's kind of back our way into this. The principle is this, sin splashes. Sin splashes. When we sin, our sin splashes. What I mean by that is it impacts others. Sin is like dropping a pebble into a pond. It, it, it's a ripple effect. God totally forgives our sin, but the effects of our sin can splash onto and into others' lives, like our spouse, even your church, your friends, co-workers, boyfriend, girlfriend, family, David's sin splashed. When you commit murder, you commit adultery, you commit any sin, 
it splashes. That is the nature of sin. It tends toward death. There are consequences of sin. God forgives sin, redeems it, but there are always consequences to sin. You're a fool. If you think you can sin and get away with it, you never get away with sin. You think you're hiding it? No. It's showing up. You just don't see it because one of the the consequences of sin is it makes you blind. Everyone else sees it, but you become blind to it the longer you live in it. But I want you to listen to David's prayer and call to action. You see, David's sin with Bathsheba resulted in David and Bathsheba losing the very son they gave birth to. And because David was the king of Israel, David's sin also had a rippling effect into Jerusalem and actually throughout all of Israel. He's the king. And this sin had a rippling effect into the kingdom. And look what David says in verse 18 and 19. He says, may it please you to prosper Zion. Right now, Zion is not prospering and David is taking responsibility. May it please you to build up the walls of Jerusalem, not physically, but spiritually. The walls have been broken down because of my sin and the enemy is invading my people. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of the righteous. Somehow, even the sacrificial system back then was somehow tainted because of David's sin. You will lend delight in the sacrifice of righteousness in burnt offerings and whole uh, offerings of bulls will be offered on your altar. What's the application? Let me, let me just kind of get really practical here right now with, in our own lives. Um, if, you, if you've had an affair an extramarital affair, that sin has caused deep pain in your spouse. Deep pain. You need to pray like David here and carry out any action needed, anything needed for rebuilding. Anything. If you've cheated someone out of money, that sin has caused problems in their life, their family, maybe their business. And you need to pray And you need to take any action necessary for restoration there. This is part of our healing when we've done something of a nature that is so deep, like what David did. If you've used cutting words, cutting words towards someone in your family, a friend, even an enemy, and you know those words injured, have injured You need to pray and then take action to rebuild what has been damaged. This is what we see David doing. This is called taking responsibility. Yeah, God forgives, but there are consequences. Sin splashes, and therefore I'm going to take care of the splash to the degree I can by humbling myself and seeking to rebuild the walls that have been broken because of my sin. That's called taking full responsibility for what we've done. And there are many of you who have done that. There are, are, are men and women I know who have literally gone to jail and even prison because they are no longer going to be shackled by the sin that they have not confessed, but they're going to confess it and whatever consequences there are, if that means going to jail, but they're free in jail. They're not bound in sin by hiding something. I know people who have lost their jobs. I haven't confessed to a boss. But let me tell you, even that, you might get fired.
But guess what? You're going to be free. And that will be a testimony. And yes, there will be pain. But God will use it. Or the other way to go is like I said earlier. You're going to get better or better. You're going to get bitter or better when, when sin is, is, it can fester. Do you want to die and go home to be with the Lord with what has happened that maybe hasn't been dealt with? Seriously? Do you want to live this whole way your whole life? These are deep things, but I say this to you because I love you and I care for you. And like Larry was saying this morning, kindness is speaking the truth in love. It would not be kind for me to encourage you, yeah, just hide that area for the rest of your life. No, spiritually that can be just so, uh, that could just, that's what Satan wants you to follow that path. God's path is different. There are many of you who have faced that in your lives and uh, and there are testimonies here in this room where you have humbled yourself. I mean, Tom, your testimony is amazing that we saw this morning. Literally. Wow. Incredible. Hallelujah. So, you know, um, I believe there are testimonies around the table right now. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone. If you're watching this on video in your small group, the question is this. But the five things to do when you've blown it big time with God, which point is like most applicable to you right now? Or you just like to testify about one of these points that brought healing in your life and you would just take a moment to talk about that at your table. Go for it. Talk about that. Well, I hope that you're encouraged this morning. My prayer is that you'll have a psalm now to turn to when you or someone you know has just blown it you've done something you never thought you would do, what a wonderful psalm to turn to. And please, don't think you're alone. The Bible is just filled with stories. You look at men and women who just blew it. You look at Moses. Blew it big time with God. Not allowed to enter the promised land. There were consequences, but God healed. Joseph, Peter, Jonah, Paul, all of them blew it with the Lord. You and I. And God can take your worst moment and turn it into your greatest day if you'll let Him. So I pray you are encouraged here. You look at David's life. Think about David, you know. What a moment for David. What a defining moment for David. David could have gone one way or another. I love what the New Testament says about David. We, we hear about David as a man after God's own hearts. And Acts 13 says, I have found David. This is what God said about David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. We usually stop there. But this is why David was a man after God's own heart. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? He will do everything I want him to do. What is it that God wants you to do in light of what you have done? Be a man. Be a woman after God's own hearts. Move forward doing what God has called you to do. Claim God's mercy. Confess your sins. Call upon God for total spiritual renewal. Communicate your story to others. Carry out any action for rebuilding. That is an amazing five steps to take. When you've blown it, 
wow, it brings you full circle from the beginning of what you do emotionally to be restored to an amazing life of living for impact and the glory of God. I just can't imagine anything more beautiful. And we see it in David's life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a ministry of people that I really, I look out here and I know their hearts and they want to do everything you want them to do. That's why we're here this morning. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would just give us the grace and the strength to be honest with ourselves and to not push away what your Holy Spirit is even saying right now. So would you take a moment in just this quietness to come before the Lord just in a 30-second prayer to talk to God about what He's talking to you about to do. So take a moment. Talk to God. Lord, hear these prayers. Answer them in ways beyond what we could ever imagine. You're the God that makes something out of nothing. And I know some people right now just are praying with the faith that just they're just hanging on with this faith. And Lord, but meet them. And do a miracle, I pray, as they move with you and walk with you. Do something that would just amaze us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Now, let me just give you a, a quick thing about next Sunday. Because I, I want you to know what's going to happen. Many of you, I'm just talking to you as a pastor. You've been on the side. I guess I'm always talking as a pastor, right? That's kind of <laughs> duh. But I'm, I'm like, I want to be tender right now with you. Because many of you have been on the side. I had a husband, Mark, a wife, who had an affair on me. And you felt, and you're dealing with betrayal at a level that is so deep and so painful. You weren't the person that did this, but you have been living with the splashing of sin. That relationship may not even be around still. You've moved on, the divorce happened. There are a number of scenarios. I'm just saying, I know there are many of you who have been injured. There are many of you who have never even fessed up or talked about the injury you've experienced. And so next Sunday, I want to minister to you God's Word. We're going to talk about what do you do when you've been blindsided by betrayal. One of the most painful things in your life is to be betrayed. And there's hope for you. So I want you back here next Sunday. Amen? We're going to have a great time then. You guys, we love you. Have a great Sunday. And you bet. God bless.